Squad listeners, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Dan, and I am one half of your hosts. And welcome to another episode of Horror Headlines, where I'm going to be talking about some of the biggest news in horror this week, giving you highlights of interviews and editorials from the week, all under 20 minutes. So let's just get right into it, because there has been some interesting stuff this week that I really want to talk about. So let's start off with box office news, because it'll explain a bit of the repetitive theme of some of this week's articles, just so you don't end up wondering to yourself, uh, why are we talking so much about Alexander Aja this week, Dan? Well, some of you might know already, but Aja's new movie, Crawl, just dropped in theaters this weekend. That's right, the stranded in a house during a hurricane being attacked by angry alligators horror movie that we have all been waiting for. It's finally in theaters. Well, how did it do? Well, looks like people still like what they like, which means this weekend was completely dominated by Spider-Man Far From Home and Toy Story 4. Spider-Man in its second week and Toy Story stunningly in its fourth week, both were still able to claim the number one and two spots at the box office respectively, leaving Crawl to come in third over Stuber, which I would consider a small victory, actually. Anyway, the film grossed at about $12 million, leaving uh, just about $1.5 million shy of making back its budget and making Paramount a little bit happier about their investment, I would imagine. And uh, what about Midsummer? Well, it still seems to be having a tough time in its second week, sliding down to number eight below Annabelle, Aladdin, and Yesterday. It seems clear at this point that Midsummer isn't destined to be the sleeper smash hit that Hereditary was, but again... I don't think A24 or Astor himself are too surprised by this. It's Hereditary that was the anomaly in its success. We've talked about this in our full-length episode, but, you know, clearly Midsummer isn't trying to be anything that people want it to be. So I think that it kind of speaks for itself in that way. Uh, still, some people get cynical hearing this box office news like this. You know, I read a very cynical article in Forbes recently about how even though moviegoers say they're tired of sequels and remakes— that's what they go and pay money to go see, not the original films, quote-unquote original films, that they claim that they want. So the movie makers keep giving it to us, essentially. You still, I, I think we could get surprises every now and then, like It a couple years ago. That was a box office smash, and nobody saw it coming. It was just an incredible trailer, incredible source material. We loved it. So I suppose it remains to be seen if this pattern continues for the rest of the year. We have another It movie coming out. Maybe that's going to surprise us. I mean... I don't know. It remains to be seen. But moving on from box office news, let's talk about Crawl a little bit more. Did you know that Legend of Horror, Sam Raimi, is a producer on the film? Well, it's true. And in an interview with Bloody Disgusting, Raimi and Aja revealed they almost worked together in the past. Specifically, Aja was offered to direct a film that came out in 2007 with Kristen Stewart called Messengers. However, Aja was forced to choose between either that project or working with Wes Craven on The Hills Have Eyes. And he said it was an unbelievably tough choice, but we all know what he ended up going with in the end. Stuff like this is always interesting to me. You know, getting to peek behind the curtain as to how these deals work, you know, what might have been. And hey, we still get a Raimi Aja collaboration with Crawl. But uh, Aja has nothing but the best stuff to say about Raimi, just kind of incidentally. He apparently just totally goes to bat for directors when he produces, trying to preserve their vision, and I totally respect that about him. It just makes him even cooler in my eyes. So speaking of both Aja and Raimi, let's take a walk down to the rumor mill. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh,
Rumor Mill. All right, let's dive into these juicy rumors, one of which is definitely a hardcore rumor, and another is maybe a little bit more concrete than a rumor, but details remain to be seen. So let's just dive into it. First off, let's talk Aja. This comes exclusive from WeGotThisCovered.com, as well as Dread Central. Rumor has it that since Aja proved himself quite capable to remake both Craven's Hills Have Eyes and Joe Dante's Piranha, New Line Cinema may be eyeing Aja for the long-rumored Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Now, this isn't that surprising. As we know, studios need to make something every so often in order to retain the rights to certain intellectual properties, right? That's why we keep getting terrible Fantastic Four movies every now and then. They just want to keep those rights. So the last Elm Street attempt came out in 2010, and it's regarded as something of a disaster. Uh, As we approach a decade later, it's not a surprise that New Line is looking for someone else to take a crack at it, given that the horror renaissance we are in is very profitable. What with Halloween and Child's Play reboots both earning money, you know, this reboot, again, it's not a surprise. It is, however, good news that they're looking at directors like Aja, and even though the article says he's one of only a few being considered, it gives me hope as to what the rest of the list might look like. So stay tuned for news on that. But moving on to Raimi rumors... This one is unique because it comes from Raimi himself. Maybe you heard about this. During an interview with Bloody Disgusting, ostensibly for Crawl, Raimi made other news by saying that, yes, he would absolutely be down for another Evil Dead movie. Yes, and he's so open-minded, he doesn't mind if it's a sequel to the Ash vs. the Evil Dead TV show, a sequel to Army of Darkness, a sequel to Fede Alvarez's reboot. He doesn't care. He would just love to make it happen. He just wants it to happen, and he even says he'd love Bruce Campbell to be involved, although he admits it's unlikely since Campbell claims to have retired from the character altogether. But he he teased a lot of stuff, even claiming that there was a possibility for the reboot that he wasn't spilling the beans on, just other ideas. So the reason I count this as a rumor is because nothing is set in stone here. And if this is true, it's in very early stages. So who knows when or even if we'll see this. But if you're anything like me, you've got your fingers crossed that we're due for another entry into one of the goriest and most ridiculous series in all of horror. So stay tuned, horror fans. All right. So let's talk trailers. Let's talk trailers. All right. So the biggest trailer news this week is without a doubt the full two-minute trailer for Rob Zombie's Three from Hell, which finally dropped today, the day this episode comes out. Three from Hell, of course, being the long-awaited sequel to 2005's The Devil's Rejects, which, for better or for worse, put Rob Zombie on the map as a horror director to watch. From the looks of it, the events from Three from Hell take place directly after The Devil's Rejects, actually. So, minor spoilers here if you haven't seen the film and don't want it spoiled. I would skip ahead uh, maybe 15, 20 seconds. Three, two, One. So, after driving directly into the police roadblock and into a goddamn hail of bullets, the three somehow survive, pulling off what this trailer calls a satanic recovery, (laughs) which sees them ending up in prison, from which they are most certainly destined to escape. Now, couple things here just very quickly. Now, it's very easy and very popular to just crap on Rob Zombie and say he sucks. It is very easy to do that. And if I wanted to be like every other horror podcaster, 
I would just do that. But I think it's far less lazy and far more interesting to acknowledge that he actually can do certain things well. And he really did earn his way into the Splat Pack in the early 2000s, which is a group of directors that helped kind of revive horror into its gorier phase. It consisted of Alexander Aja, Eli Roth, James Wan, and Rob Zombie. He earned that for pushing his grittier film style, which at the time was a unique thing. And even though it may make you feel better to reduce him to it, He's not a dummy. He's not. Filming Devil's Rejects on Super 16mm was a great move and made the tone of that film much grittier and much more real. And while he may struggle with dialogue, Zombie is great with characters and great with picking good actors for his characters. Yes, in this case, even Sherry Moon Zombie is a good pick for the character of Baby. So, that being said, what is there to say about this trailer? I mean, honestly... It doesn't show or tell us much, which I like. Not a lot being spoiled here outside of some one-liners from each of the characters to kind of hype them up a bit. I don't think this movie is shot on Super 16 anymore, which I am bummed about. Uh, But still, it feels gritty, and there are tons of teases for dark characters with interesting masks and stuff. Uh, Imagery and framing was never particularly what Zombie was good at or even what he cared about so much as tension, tone, and grittiness. So it looks like the trailer kind of intentionally holds back from showing us that stuff. Overall, I can acknowledge that Zombie is definitely an inconsistent filmmaker. I mean, I wasn't particularly a fan of 31, for example, but I hope maybe returning back to this source material will prove inspiring for him in some way. Either way, Three from Hell comes out around September 18th and will definitely prove to be one of the year's biggest releases, especially right around that sweet, sweet September to October horror movie primetime slot. But moving on, uh, let's talk about films in production because there are some interesting ones. Uh, Today, John John Krasinski confirmed on Twitter that filming for A Quiet Place Part 2 just began today. Uh, John is still in the director's chair here, but Emily Blunt and the kids will be joined in the cast by Cillian Murphy of 28 Days Later and Peaky Blinders fame and Brian Tyree Henry from Widows and Child's Play. He played Mike the Cop in Child's Play. Uh, We don't know a ton about the sequel right now, only that it may give us a glimpse into the origin of the apocalypse that we see in the first film, but it is definitely a hotly anticipated one given the success of the first film. Uh, Moving on, I'm very excited about this one. Apparently, Mortal Kombat will be returning to the big screen in 2021 with a new director, brand new director named Simon Wakwad attached, and a confirmation that the film will definitely be rated R, with the screenwriter tweeting that this will finally be our chance to properly see fatalities recreated on the big screen. Uh, It's far away, but it's on our radar now, and we will keep an eye out for any additional news from it. Very excited for that. And finally, in the realm of horror-related memes, it's sad but true, we have not one, but two movies about the viral fad Momo in the works right now from different studios. Now, for those of you who don't know, Momo, I would just Google Momo to see what I mean. (laughs) And I apologize in advance. But Momo is an image of a sculpture which was created by a Japanese artist, Kisuke Aizawaya. Uh, The sculpture, which debuted at a Tokyo gallery in 2016, it's called Mother Bird, and it's inspired by the legend of Abume, a venomous, child-snatching bird of Japanese folklore. Uh, 
Unfortunately, though, it was adopted by the internet to become a Slenderman-esque urban legend about a spirit that encourages kids to either kind of hurt or kill themselves. Apparently, one version of the film that is in production, Getaway, may be more about the urban legend aspect, whereas this other newly announced adaptation may be more around the Japanese folklore aspect. Either way, my expectations for this are kind of low due to the way that the Slenderman movie kind of turned out. I'm just not convinced that anyone can really capitalize on an internet, a scary internet fad this way. It just changes the context too much and loses what makes it scary in the first place, like the horror of the discovery of it in the context of just kind of being in your room or wherever you are where you discover this late at night when it really is actually scary. Uh, I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to pull that across in this film, but we'll see. I mean, both these films are in production, so they're coming out sometime soon. Okay, so wrapping this week up, uh, I am going to talk about a couple cool horror articles that I read this week and what they had to say. So this first one is from AV Club, and it's a bit about how it's the 20th anniversary of The Blair Witch Project, undoubtedly a hugely important horror movie, regardless of how divisive, how polarizing the movie itself is. Nonetheless, this thing was huge, making something like $250 million on a budget of $60,000. But honestly, this thing had help getting so successful, and that's what this article is about. It basically talks about the marketing campaign for the film, and specifically focusing on a fake documentary that aired on sci-fi before the film's release called The Curse of the Blair Witch. Essentially, in 1999, before this film debuted in theaters, when it was just making festival rounds and building hype, a big part of the promotion was playing up whether or not the film was real, right? You may even remember this. Missing persons posters of the cast were put up around college campuses. Online message boards poured over every bit of footage that was aired anywhere, any bit of test footage that was released, promotional footage. They were pouring over it for clues, making theories. Online communities were seriously being built around trying to figure this thing out. So this is where a guy named Ben Rock gets involved, and he is going to make The Curse of the Blair Witch, which is going to be this fake documentary that airs on sci-fi right around when stuff like this was really huge with, like, Ripley's Believe It or Not and stuff like that. And apparently, this is really interesting, this documentary used footage that was originally going to be in the Blair Witch Project movie itself, which was apparently supposed to be, like, little commentary or interview sections before they decided that it broke up the tension too much and they just ended up stripping it all away and leaving that raw footage there. But this was perfect because Ben Rock could use this amazing footage that was right in line with what was going on in the film, featuring stuff like a real-life town historian and one of the character's actual brothers. Anyway, long story short, it was massively successful and got even more people hyped on the film, making it the success that we all know today. Now, personally, I really respect this, this elaborate marketing technique, this whole thing. I think it makes it really fun and it gets fans involved. And, you know, they owned up to it being fake after it was released, so whatever. But that's not the point. The point is the journey and breaking ground for future found footage films. And it definitely did that. Now, Ali and I were considering talking about found footage more in the near future, but we realized a couple other podcasts had done that recently in honor of Blair Witch being released, so we're holding off on that idea for now, but it is coming because it is something that we are both having lots of thoughts, lots of feelings about, and I in, I in particular have a bit of a passion for these types of films, I'll be honest, and uh, just stay tuned for that because we're definitely going to cover it in the future. And finally, I love this article from Fangoria's editor-in-chief over at his blog, Birth Death Movies, here we go. It's titled, 
Obviously, Midsummer is a Stealth Chainsaw Massacre remake. <laughs> Quite a title. Let's just dive right into it. Uh, so, maybe a couple you can come up with some comparisons off the top of your head, but Phil Nobile Jr., he really gets into it. So, obviously, massive spoilers for Midsummer and Texas Chainsaw ahead here, so skip to the end of the episode if you don't want them spoiled, because this is the last thing we're talking about. Okay, three, two, one... Alright, so the article claims that both films follow young people traveling to unfamiliar regions where they get an early sign that something isn't right when a local cuts their palm with a knife. The hitchhiker in Texas Chainsaw and the priestess smearing the slab in Midsummer. Then... The comparisons start getting more obvious. Later, one of the protagonists trespasses into a private, forbidden space. He discovers an inbred local wearing someone else's face and catches a hammer to the head and is dragged out of frame. Now, this is classic. It happens in both. Obviously, it's a very famous scene in Texas Chainsaw, and it's a hugely important one in Midsummer as well, with the character of Josh, even down to wearing someone else's face. In this section, it is truly uncanny, but we go on. No one leaves, despite their group disappearing one by one, and eventually, an unlikable character meets their demise, while our female hero undergoes a transformative experience and ends up surviving. That's not even mentioning the fact that pivotal scenes take place at dinner tables in both, and of course, the unique fact that both of these films are daytime horror, the very rarely, rarely explored daytime horror. So... What can I say? I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but it's one that I love. Clearly, Astor has a little bit of a classic horror influence in his brain when he was writing Midsummer, and in some ways, it really shows. And that will do it for us this week, folks. Did I miss any horror news that you love? What are your thoughts on what I covered? Let us know on Twitter at SpookyGuyDan or at SpookSquadPod or on Instagram or email us at SpookSquadPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, folks. This is Dan signing out. <laughs>